You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. You know the rock never stops? Never stops. Big weekend coming up, as you guys are well aware. Mississippi State will host the University of Arkansas. A lot of uh, concern out of Fayetteville about not just K.J. Jefferson, but the entire roster. They got some guys that are beat up. We're going to see – we're going we're not going to see the best version of Arkansas. Let's just say that. And that, that's not to say that it's a guarantee we're going to win the ball game. I'm not trying to suggest that at all. But this is not an Arkansas team that is in good shape. Lost back-to-back games. They've had some injuries. They're really facing some adversity right now going to be a real testament to this staff and the leadership of this team. They can come out and uh, and earn a victory on the road in the SEC. A lot of things against Arkansas right now, not to mention the fact Mississippi State should have won the last two games in this series. But we didn't. Arkansas just found a way. And, I, and you know, I've thought about this earlier this week. I thought about that 2020 game a lot. Arkansas had not uh, won an SEC game in forever and a day. They make a coaching change up there to hire Chad Morris, who did nothing. It's incredible how uh, you get into the college football world, you can kind of stay there. But they showed up here. We implode. Lose 21-14. When we really began to discover that uh, K.J. Costello wasn't going to be the guy we hoped. We had such high expectations, especially after that LSU ball game. We're like, you know what? Between Leach and KJ Costello, we got it. We didn't salvage a little something out of the season, but uh, that Arkansas game was—it was an embarrassment. You know, we were on our way. We thought to uh, potentially compete for an SEC Western Division title. The euphoria following that LSU game was uh, kind of unparalleled in recent years. We came crashing back to earth. Give Barry Odom a lot of credit for that. You have very first possession. State's kind of working our way down the field. You throw a pick six to Greg Brooks, and it was like an eerie feeling came over the stadium. But I think all of us thought, oh, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. And we kept driving down the field and never could cash in with any regularity. We lose the ball game. 
And then at that point, we thought, you know what? This is it. I remember uh, Coach Chris Purnell, known uh, Coach a long time. I remember him putting out. Maybe he's on Twitter or Facebook, and he goes, you know what? If, it, if a drop eight is all it takes to beat it, man, we're in trouble. Well, that's true. But I think we've shown we've matured in the last two years that we can, we can kind of attack that now. And I think the book on Mississippi State had been, maybe until this year, is that, you know what, if you display bend but don't break against Mississippi State at some point, they'll screw it up. Right? I think it's different this year. I think it's much different this year. And I think one of the things, too, that maybe perhaps that uh, we overlook is that these games that we're winning, they're not close. They're not close. And that's kind of what we envisioned when we began to put this thing together with Mike Leach. It's like, you know, we want to be an offensive team that scores a lot of points. And let's take a quick look back here together, if, 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 we, if we may, if you'll indulge me here. Let's go back and look kind of what we've done the last couple of years offensively. Of course, you know, we put 44 points up in LSU in, in Leach's debut. We upset uh, the defending national champions in their own backyard with – I don't know, about 25, 30% of attendance. The next week, we score 14 points. We're on the road at Kentucky. We score two. Memory serves me correct, the only time in Mike Leach's tenure when you didn't have an offensive point. Texas A&M, the next week, we score 14. We get shut out by Alabama, 41 nothing. We beat Vanderbilt, and at the time, that seemed like a big win, 24-17 in Starkville. They postponed the Auburn game. We go on the road and go play Georgia, and what do you know? We have one of our best offensive outputs of the year, but we lose 31-24. We go to Oxford for the Egg Bowl. We lose that game 31-24. Finally play Auburn again in Gus Malzahn's final game, and we lose 24-10. It wasn't until we played Missouri after Will Rogers had had a few games under his belt that you saw this offense kind of come together. And, of course, Missouri was stubborn and decided they would run man coverage. But you think about these numbers here. Other than the opening win of the season against LSU and the final game of the regular season, Missouri, guys, we didn't score any points. And that was the big thing. Oh, the air raid's not going to work. Air raid's not going to work. Air raid's not going to work. And a lot of people didn't want it to work. We want to go back to three yards of cloud of dust and, you know, probably produce these same totals. But in SEC play, which the full year was, I mean, you know, we didn't, we didn't average much. Other, again, other than the bookend regular season games, we didn't score points. And you think about that A&M game, we only scored seven offensive points in that game. And, of course, A&M was good that year. They go 9-1 or 8-1, whatever it was. I know old Miss chickened out of the game. But, uh, you know, Manuel Forbes had a pick six in that game. So we weren't scoring points. And there was some concern. And we all thought, you know what? Well, not all of us. There were some of us that, in the minority thought we'd be okay. But I think um, there are others out there that were like, oh, not going to work, not going to work, not going to work. Okay, let's look at last year. Had to come from behind, but we beat Louisiana Tech, putting up 35 points. We needed every one of them. You beat NC State 24-10. You lose at Memphis 31-29. I know you don't want to relive that. 
we lose to LSU. We win at College Station 26-22. We lose to Alabama 49-9. we got to score at least a touchdown against those guys this year. We go to Vanderbilt and we whip them 45-6. Beat Kentucky 31-17. Lose at Arkansas 31-28. Win at Auburn 43-34. Beat Tennessee State 55-10. Lose the Egg Bowl 31-21. And then we get demolished in Liberty Bowl with a diminished roster. But you start seeing these point totals begin to creep up a little bit, right? Outside of the uh, the ball game against Alabama, and that, it's difficult to judge anybody against Alabama. I don't care how good or how bad you are. We didn't score in the teens the entire year in the regular season. It's 21 points or above. So you started to see us score with greater proficiency. Well, let's look at this year. Now that our quarterback won Will Rogers, a native of a family from Winston County, Mississippi. You look at this year, 49 against Memphis, 39 against Arizona, 16 against LSU, certainly a step back. That's the outlier there. 45 against Bowling Green and 42 against Texas A&M. In our four wins, 39 points or more. Got to get it done. So, again, you're seeing the maturation of a quarterback, of the offense, of maybe Mike Leach kind of getting his guys to run his scheme. I think it's important to understand that. And that we were rightfully, rightfully expecting more this year. And so far, we're getting more. We'll see what happens tomorrow. But the reality of it is, is that the air raid is working. It is working. Let's thank our friends at uh, Bulldog Burger Company. They're always working. Always working. Always working to give you a wonderful dining experience at an affordable price. I've shared with you guys before, one of the post-COVID things that uh, I have probably, I don't know if upset is the the right word to use, but uh, maybe I've been disappointed in. It's a lot of restaurants were charging me a little bit more and giving me a little bit less. I get it. Everybody's got to make a living. But I like knowing that I can go to Bulldog Burger Company and get the full value of my dining dollar. That's a good thing. Bulldog Burger Company, three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Stark, Vegas. Be sure and go by and check out the patio area. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And the newest from Lake Harbor Drive there in the original Flowood area. Go by, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. We all need more of that. We do. It's science. It's in writing now. And that's the standard we're using these days. Because in writing, it's got to be true. Get that chocolate shake to go. You know, I tell you, there's been so many great restaurant-quality hamburgers I've had at Bulldog Burger Company. Sometimes it's difficult to put a finger on, on, on my favorite. You know, sometimes you just have a taste for something. But I love those Sloppy Joe sliders for lunch. And I love that BLT salad. You may like it fried, I like it grilled. I'm from South Mississippi, so I always get ranch dressing. Because we know in South Mississippi, we believe between, you know, with duct tape, WD-40, and ranch dressing, we can cure just about anything. Well, you don't need the WD-40, and you don't need the duct tape when you go to Bulldog Burger Company. But you might want some ranch dressing, which is fabulous. Go by and check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, let's run down the SEC here. I have a busy day ahead of me. Had a lot of fun last night. It was a busy day yesterday. It seemed like every day is busy. Maybe it's just me. 
Some days I wish I could just sit around and watch Netflix. But I get bored with that. I got to get out and do things. I love this time of year, though, because there's so much football on. But um, had a good time last night. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show on our top ten list. But um, let's look at the SEC. We're going to look at some numbers a little bit later here. But um, So Tennessee is at LSU. I think this is one of the most intriguing games, not just in the conference, but in the country. Now, I know it doesn't have the national ramifications that uh, maybe some other ones do because LSU, of course, ranked 25. And I don't think anybody you know, fully expects LSU to truly contend for the West. I mean, I think that they're, they're a winning team, but they're not the brand maybe they have been. And, and nobody expected them to be this year. I, well, maybe some did. But uh, we thought they'd be better, and they are better. Mississippi State should, still should have beat them. I really like this Tennessee team. You look at their pass defense, not good. Not good at all. But offensively, these guys can get out and play. Now, LSU is decent on the back end. And and maybe decent is underselling them. They're good. They're not great. They're not elite. They've been DBU. And they've got a couple guys out there that can make a few plays. But the reality of it is, not as good as they have been. Tennessee offensively is really good. I think this could be a very high-scoring game. Now, one of the things that I begin to think about, about that pass defense for Tennessee, is can Jaden Daniels exploit the weakness? Because, you know, football is all about matchups, right? There are a lot of people out there, oh, this team is terrible against the pass. Well, if you can't throw the football, it doesn't matter if they're terrible against the pass. Well, Steve, they're, they're awful against the run. Well, we don't run it. You know, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's like there's so many things out there, some weaknesses jump out. It's all about matchups. This is one of those games I look at it and I'm like, I don't see a decided advantage for either team. I think it's going to be a Super Bowl game. Now, of course, it'll be going on the same time that we're playing. We'll kind of keep an eye on that. But uh, I, I like this Tennessee team. I think LSU can run the football a little bit against Tennessee. I don't think they can make a living doing it, though. And that's why I'm picking Tennessee. Again, it's about matchups. LSU wants to run the football. They have struggled to run the football. Of course, we wore down in our ball game down there in that fourth quarter. They had you know, some big plays and kind of ground us out. And tip of the cap to them, they won the game. I think we're all going to look back and bemoan that all year long. We game we let get away. But I like Tennessee to win in Death Valley. And I don't know that I would have said that two years ago. But I think when you look at the trajectory of these two, I think Tennessee right now is on a higher trajectory, at least for this year. Like the Tennessee team, this is the Bill Martin Bowl. This is Steve, who's Bill Martin? Well, Bill used to be head of media relations at Mississippi State. Now he's in Tennessee. He is an LSU alum from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Love Bill to death, man. Great guy. Recently became a father. I joke with him. Now he is Father Martin. If you're from South Louisiana, you get it. But I like Tennessee to win the ball game. I think, but again, I think it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. I really do. I think LSU at home is good, but uh, you know they're allergic to day games down there. And it's one of the things too that's so interesting to me. Like I read this angst every time LSU has to play a day game. Well, the SEC office needs to understand this tradition. You know, everybody wants to play at night, Mister LSU Bayou Bengal. We'd all love to be able to have the whole day to sit around with friends on campus and tailgate and 
you know, have finger foods and somebody make a, you know, uh, you know, pulled pork or whatever and be able to sit around and congregate with friends and watch other games. We'd all love to be able to do that. It's not tradition for you. And you know, you've been some, had some really good games over the years, so as a result, you've been in prime time on that ESPN spot. But it's not tradition. There shouldn't be this sense of entitlement that you guys should always be able to play at night. We all want to play at night, too. We just don't always get to. And now you're stuck there with us playing 11 a.m. So, ha! All right, moving along here, of course, uh, Arkansas-Mississippi State game. You know, again, 11 a.m. for us. I'm going to make a pitch on this a little bit later in the game, in, but uh, in the show. But, you know, Arkansas at Mississippi State, when you, again, we, we've had some success against these guys, but I don't think enough. And I read sometimes with great interest the Arkansas folks that think they should never lose to a Mississippi school. And I begin to ask myself, why, why do you think that? Because Sam Walton's family sent kids to Arkansas? I mean, come on. Arkansas... Mississippi State and Ole Miss are contemporaries. Whether you like it or not, Hog fans, that's the reality of it. And, and let me take it a step further. As college baseball has shown the last two years, Mississippi State has won an AFL championship. Ole Miss has won an AFL championship. I mean, let me point out, Arkansas has never won the College World Series. And that's a sport that we respect you in. But this whole, you know, line of thinking that Arkansas should never be on the same level as State and Ole Miss, it's just, you know, that's antiquated thinking, man. It just is. And not that I'm here to defend Ole Miss in any respect, but, you know, I, I look at this Ole Miss-Arkansas um, series, and I think it's a little more intriguing even than the State-Arkansas series. I, I think, you know, th- those games tend to be memorable, shall we say. Everybody remembers the Matt Jones, what, seven-overtime game, how ridiculous that was? It was crazy. It's a legendary game. It is. But I like State to win. You know, of course, uh, you know, we don't know. There's even some rumors that Arkansas is going to have some other guys that are going to be game-time decisions. But uh, I like State to win the game. I expected State to win the game before any of this stuff happened with K.J. Jefferson. If K.J. Jefferson doesn't play, I think State's going to win comfortably. I just don't think Arkansas is going to be able to score. Now, they'll cook some things up, of course. But, uh, you, know, with, you know, when you've got – you know, limited personnel, it's difficult to experiment too much. And, of course, uh, you know, Fortin is more of the passing quarterback. Hornsby more of the running quarterback. They'll probably have some packages. And then you, you kind of tip personnel like that. And, you know, it's like you can't run the, the bulk of your offensive scheme when you don't have a true dual-threat quarterback back there. And, again, I'm a K.J. Jefferson guy. Love that guy, man. I'm very happy he's had some success at the University of Arkansas. He's a fine young man. Had a chance to meet his uh, meet his mom one day, too. A couple members of his family. You know, he just didn't fit us. It's not a personal thing, right? There's so many kids out there that, you know, that they leave and go to other schools, and people are like, oh, he should have came here. Yeah, it's hard for me to root against K.J. Jefferson, man. I, I like the young man. He wasn't a great fit for us, and, uh, yeah, yeah, we've kind of got to deal with him now because he's in the, in the SEC West, but you want the young man to get healthy. You do. Hope he makes a full recovery on Monday. All right, Missouri at Florida. This could kind of be a sneaky good game, too. Having to hire a new employee sometimes is the absolute worst, right? 
we've all been there. If you've got your own small business, I mean, you're, you're trusting your livelihood. You're trusting your baby, your blood, sweat, and tears with somebody perhaps you don't know very well. That's why you got to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. How cool is that? I mean, times in the past, I've made hiring decisions when I was desperate for an employee. It's been nice to have had a partner to help me screen through some of this and make sure that I get people that fit the specific skill set I'm looking for. It's so easy to go make a free ad today at LinkedIn. Maybe you should. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it much easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to actually meet and interview and ultimately hire. It's important to have the right team. It's why every small business rates LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster than ever before. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash boneyard. That's linkedin.com slash boneyard to post your job for free. Some terms and conditions may apply. I just think in the end, Florida will be able to out-athlete Missouri. Florida, Missouri. You know, this has been one of those, you know, one of those games, I guess, that you just kind of take for granted if you're Florida over the years. And you absolutely shouldn't. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm sure when the schedule comes out, like the casual fan looks and says, oh, yeah, well, Florida will beat Missouri. Well, here's a little trivia question for you. Did you know that Missouri actually holds the lead in the series with the University of Florida? Did you know that? Six and five in favor of the Missouri Tigers, including last year's win, 24-23. As you guys know, that was the, kind of the end of the Dan Mullen era. It's pretty crazy to think about that. You know, the very first time that these two schools met was in the 1966 Sugar Bowl, Missouri won. Missouri joins the lead in 2012, so all of a sudden they become regular opponents. So Missouri has more than held their own with Florida. So I don't think Missouri is going to sit around and think, well, it's Florida. I don't think they're going to be intimidated by that. And of course, I don't know the Missouri running game is quite what it was last year. But this could be a sneaky good game. I still think Florida wins, though. I just think Florida at home, basically a little bit of a, of a bye week last week, even though they played a game, you know, uh, stepping out against non-conference opponent. I just, you know, I don't think Florida's going to be great, but I think they'll be good enough to beat Missouri. And I think until we talk about matchups, Missouri has struggled to stop the run the last couple of years. Florida's going to run football. That's what they're going to do. That's what Napier's known for. You spread everybody out. You establish a power running game. You kind of boot off of it, that sort of stuff. Uh, but the reality of it is, is I, I just think in the end, the better team wins. I believe that it's Florida. I know that Missouri played well against Georgia last week and arguably should have won the game. But it's like when you get so close and you come up short, sometimes that's worse than getting blown out because the emotional investment is different, right? It's like, oh, we should have won, we should have won. Now, on the coaching side, you're like, you know what, this shows you how close we are. But you were at home against a team that was going through the motions. Speaking of that team, it was Georgia. Auburn is at Georgia. 
me and the illustrious hind dog were speaking last night as I drove home from uh, Huntsville. I think this is Georgia's get-right game. And, and though they have not been as dominant as of late, and that has surprised some people, and I don't know that's fair. I mean, they, you know, let's be honest. They, they did lose some very talented players off a team that won an Eiffel championship, right? And so you expect a little bit of a step back. And I think maybe, and if we're sitting here quibbling about a team that's 5-0, and you know, maybe we're being unfair. But, you know, they blow out Oregon, and, and maybe we've overvalued that win over Oregon. You know, I thought the Pac-12 had some teams ranked maybe artificially high, but, you know, those guys on the West Coast got to vote for somebody, right? But Oregon's 4-1. and one. I mean, it's not like it, you know, they're just in the tank. They've won every game since then. Offensively, they put up a lot of points. They, they have scored 40 or more in every game since only scoring three against the University of Georgia. But then, you know, then Georgia goes out and kind of goes through the motions against Sanford. When you saw that game on a schedule, you're probably like me. Oh, it's going to be 65 nothing. Well, it was nothing, but it was just 33. And I think all of us kind of reconciled that and say, well, you know, it's just Georgia cruising a little bit, not trying to embarrass an FCS team, putting some young guys in, letting them get some reps. That's the whole purpose of playing those games. The next week, they destroyed South Carolina in Columbia, 48-7. You think, okay, they're back on track. Everything's cool. And then they struggle with Kent State. They win 39-22, but Kent State made it a ball game. And you're like, how is this happening? Is there a lack of leadership? Is there a lack of focus within the Georgia Bulldogs camp? At the half, this ball game was 26-13. You never thought Georgia was in trouble, but they could never really just pull away. Kent State scored in every quarter. Georgia wins third quarter 6-3 and the fourth quarter 7-6. You can say, well, you know, Steve, it's, you know, they won the game. It was okay. And they did. And, and again, we try, to, we try to make excuses and kind of explain this thing away. And then they go on the road and nearly lose to Missouri last week. And so you ask yourself, is there something wrong in Georgia? Not necessarily with Kirby or anything like that at a program or the culture. I'm not trying to suggest that at all. But it appears there's a lack of leadership because, you know, that's, this, games like this, it's not just the big games against Florida and Tennessee and Alabama that your leadership has to stand up. Your leadership's got to stand up even more so in games like these. Let's go out there and take care of business early. And those are things I look at. And, again, this was a 16-6 game against Missouri. Missouri up 10 at the break. And you think, oh, well, they'll be okay. Well, you know, third quarter, Missouri defense stood tall. It's still a ball game. As we get ready to go to the fourth, it's 19-12 Missouri at home, number one team in the country. And you're starting to think it's going to be a magical night in Como. Georgia finally decides to start playing football, and they win 26-22. But so I ask you again, when you look at this Georgia team, and I really thought that they should have been number one in the country, even though they lost a lot on defense. But when you look at this roller coaster, and yes, they're 5-0, and again, you're nitpicking when you're undefeated and ranked third in the country. 
But there has been this roller coaster of emotions with them, and you begin to wonder, are they ripe for an upset? It won't come this week. I think Auburn's a team that uh, is going to struggle. And again, kind of like that whole deal with the, you know, with the emotional investment. You know, Auburn at home had a 17-0 lead, and you lose, and you begin to wonder, you know, if you're, if you're an Auburn Tiger, it's like, well, here we go again. I think Georgia gets right this weekend. And then they get Vanderbilt the next weekend. Because it's, it's basically a three-game homestand here. You host Auburn, Vanderbilt, Florida, Tennessee. And then the next road game, and I know Florida, Georgia's the uh, the cocktail party. But the next true road game, start with Mississippi. Not making any prognostications, just point it out. Old Misses at Vanderbilt, huge, huge ball game for the Rebels here. Huge. I mean, you throw out the record books anytime these two teams get together. You never know what's going to happen in these rivalry games. I think we know this time, though. I, 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 I'll be honest with you. As, as much as I don't like Ole Miss, I got to tell you, I like the makeup of this team. I do. I, I think this Ole Miss team, and I've watched them a couple times, uh, it's going to be interesting when they play teams that can stop the run, kind of how things go, when Jackson Dart has to kind of be a quarterback. But it's been interesting. But uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but Vanderbilt has beaten the Ole Miss Rebels 40 times over the years. 40. They hadn't beaten them since 2018, though. So three-game winning streak uh, for the Rebels. And really, you know, none of these games have really been close. I guess last year, if you remember, Vanderbilt defense did a really good job uh, against Matt Corral. Corral was still kind of beat up back then, but um, – it probably should have to, you know, probably should have been a bigger win for Ole Miss, but it wasn't. Vanderbilt defensively hung in there and played pretty well, just couldn't score. And I think that's kind of the case this week, too. I, I just don't think that Vanderbilt's going to be able to score. I think Ole Miss wins this game. I, I actually picked those guys to cover. I think Ole Miss will, I think they'll get after them pretty good. Now, again, when Vanderbilt and Ole Miss get together, crazy things have happened. I'm, and I'm not being silly, but. Um, there have been some times in the past that you think, you know, Vanderbilt shouldn't even be in the ballgame, and it turns out that they are. And remember that wild game? I can't remember the, the Ole Miss player that scored. It's like it, it felt like Vanderbilt was going to win the game. I cannot remember that kid's name. He was a running back from Florida. And late in that ball game, somehow he gets loose, and Ole Miss scores a game-winning touchdown. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember what year it was. It was a Hugh Freeze year. I guess maybe it was uh, – 13, maybe, maybe 2013, where Ole Miss scored late. I mean, it's just weird things tend to happen. You remember this is the game, too, where A.J. Brown actually had the catch, and then they reviewed it and said he didn't, didn't hold it long enough. And that was, I guess, back in maybe 18 or 19. 18, yeah, 18. Vanderbilt wins that game, 36-29. Weird, th- weird things just happen. I just wonder when they're going to put a traveling trophy together for this, this rivalry. All right, so, again, I think Ole Miss wins big. South Carolina and Kentucky, a lot of intrigue about this game about Will Levis. You know, is he a, it's a game-time decision. You know, he had, everybody saw his hand on TV in that Ole Miss game 
you know, where his fingers pointed the wrong direction. It's one of those things, every position, with the exception of quarterback, you could probably just tape that thing up and keep rolling. You know, put, you know, put some type of, uh, you know, bandage or some structure there to give it some support. Can't do it as a quarterback. So it'll be about how he feels. And I know that line is kind of, jumped up and down because of the news about Will Levis, but uh, we'll see. A lot, a lot of quarterbacks beat up right now. K.J. Jefferson's beat up. Max Johnson may be out for the year for A&M. And now Will Levis is beat up. It's a physical game in a physical league. I still like Kentucky to win the game. I think at home, I think Kentucky, they lose last week. And it's kind of a shock to the system because you've kind of convinced yourself and all your friends in the media who said you're going to be the second team in the West. And I remember in the East, and there were some people that were picking Kentucky to beat Georgia. And maybe they will. I just I, – I don't see it. I, I think the talent differential between the two programs is just too great. But South Carolina going to make the trip to Kentucky. Rodriguez is back. Had a decent game last week. That offensive line is not good. And so you sometimes you need a guy that can make plays on his own, at least a little bit, give him a little bit of a crease. I like Rodriguez. I think he's a really good player. But the reality of it is, is I don't think South Carolina is, is nearly as good as um, maybe their fans think. And I think that's going to come to fruition this week. But uh, – Kentucky's won two in a row in the series. South Carolina actually leads the series 18-14-1. But over the course of the last, uh, I guess, nine seasons here, Kentucky's won, what, eight of nine? One, two, three, four, five, seven of eight. The lone win came in Columbia in 19, a 24-7 win for South Carolina. But these games have been kind of ugly games that have kind of gone down to one possession. So I, I suspect this could be one, too. I know Kentucky's uh, lineup was a little bit uh, bigger earlier in the week, but uh, just something to watch when it comes to, you know, quarterback health. But uh, Kentucky, they're an 8-4 team, guys. That, that, that's what they are. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know who in the Southeastern Conference media has started this thing, you know, with Kentucky – to suggest they're going to be a contender in the East every year. That I mean, they've had some good seasons under Stoops. I'm not trying to diminish that. But they're not the program that many people in the Southeastern Conference football media suggest they are. All right, Texas A&M is at Alabama. We'll all be able to get home and watch that one. Interesting subplots here. And you're getting Bryce Young, another quarterback, is kind of beat up. We expect him to play. But it's been a difficult uh, week for SEC quarterbacks. A lot of backup quarterbacks getting first-team reps this week. This could be a battle of the backup quarterbacks. I don't know that A&M is not better off without Haynes King as the quarterback. And I know some Aggie fans that may listen to the show will be like, oh, well, we've already tried that and it failed. Well, you, you, now that you don't have Anaya Smith and you're going to be basically a run-first team in every aspect – you might want to have that running quarterback, and I don't mean like Max Johnson, a guy that can get outside. I'm talking about a guy that you can design quarterback runs for. It might be the way to go. To keep people off I-chain, you give Haynes King running his own read and some option-style stuff, and next thing you know, maybe perhaps you can open up the running game even more because I don't think the passing game is going to be maybe what you expected it to be anyway. 
You just got to find a way to manage a season and win ball games. And if Johnson is truly done for the year, I haven't seen an official announcement yet. Probably going to have to change some things up, Jimbo. But you know what? A, what a, a difficult position Texas A&M is in. And this is, you know, Ross Bjork. Uh, you know, we, we know him well. He's really put A&M, and you know, when they extended Jimbo, and really for no reason at all, they extend Jimbo, and what is the buyout now, $95 million? I mean, you're in year five, and you're looking at another mediocre season, and you begin to kind of ask yourself, you know, what, what becomes of, of A&M football? What, what, if, what if this is who Jimbo is? What if Jimbo was a 7-5, and 8-4 coach, despite all your resources, and what if, what if you can't gain any ground in the SEC? Those are the things that I begin to ask myself. Is like if when you're all in and they're and listen, A and M is all in, second highest budget in the NCAA when it comes to athletics. Renovated Kyle Field, leading the charge for NIL. No matter what they say, right? I think it's interesting. You can't afford to fire him. And I know there's enough money in the world, you know, out there to kind of make some things happen. But $95 million, you talk about historic moments in college football. But looking back here at the Jimbo Fisher era, you know, it began in 2018. They go 9-4, counting the win in the Gator Bowl. So an 8-4 regular season. 2019, they go 7-5 in the regular season. They win the Texas Bowl. To finish eight and five, and of course they have the one uh, 2020. You know they go nine and one, uh, win the Orange Bowl, and then last year eight and four, and then didn't play in the ball game because they had some guys sick or whatever, and they were beat up. Well, we did too. We went and played the ball game. And we lost, and I still respect the fact that our young men wanted to go play. And now they're three and two, and so in five years. Because I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of myself here and say that uh, A&M is not going to have a 10-game regular season. You know, you'd, they'd have been better off keeping Kevin Sumlin if this is the results that they expected to get. Now, granted, they've been a ranked team every year. They're not now. They've been a ranked team at some point through the season. And a lot of that, too, again, I think there's some people in the SEC media that kind of do that by default. Oh, well, this is the year. No, it's not the year. I don't think that year is ever going to come, guys. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just me. I just don't think it's going to work out. That's not to say that, uh, you know, Jackie Sherrill didn't have some great teams. R.C. Slocum had some good teams there. Franchione and those guys, um, you know, put together a couple of decent seasons. But, um, you know, never could really get over the hump. You know, Kevin Sumlin had, you know, the one big year, I guess, in 2012. It kind of helps when you get, uh, you know, an iconic player like Johnny Manziel. People forget he was headed to Oregon. It's crazy. But you, you, this A&M stuff is, is just so intriguing to me because you talk about being stuck between a rock and a hard place. That's exactly where the Texas A&M Aggies are. Absolutely stuck between a rock and a hard place. And uh, they're going to get the rub this weekend. I think Alabama beats them well. I just I think after all the stuff that's happened, I think Nick Saban smells blood in the water. And Nick Saban does his best talking through his team, not to his team. 
And I think that Alabama gets those guys back at home. Remember, A&M beat them last year. Bryce Young didn't play well. And maybe Bryce doesn't play at all. I don't, who knows? I think no matter what happens, I think Alabama's going to be able to run football at A&M. And I don't think A&M can score. And I think we're going to see prob- probably, probably a big blowout. So your wins, winners again. Tennessee, Mississippi State, Florida, Georgia, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Alabama. And probably the one I'm the most worried about is that South Carolina-Kentucky game because you just don't know how that team would respond perhaps with a uh, backup quarterback. All right, time for today's top ten list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, excuse me, CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler is my friend, your friend, a friend to everybody in need when it comes to the mortgage industry. Top 1% close ratio in the country back-to-back years, 21 years of experience. Blair's a guy that gets things done. We talk about uh, coffees for closers. Blair gets plenty. If anybody can get your loan closed, it's Blair. Maybe you are an atypical borrower with a non-conforming property. Here's the deal. The reality of life is you need somebody who's been there, that's done it all and seen it all. That's Blair Chandler. Give him a call or text today, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Blair's the guy that will get you taken care of. Looking to refinance? Looking to buy a home perhaps for the first time? Look no further than Blair Chandler. Again, that's closedwithblair.com. Mention to him you heard about him on the boneyard. He'll pay for your appraisal. One less fee you got to pay. All right, top ten list. Last night had a really cool moment. Really cool moment. Earlier this week, I found out that John Karabi was playing in Huntsville with Brother Kane. I like Brother Kane. They've reunited. They're playing. Damon Johnson, those guys are killer. I didn't say stay for their full set. I went to go see John Karabi. I have a friend. I have several friends in the music industry. I have a friend that said, hey, are you going to see John? I said, well, it's going to be tough because I got, I got a big weekend ahead of me. He said, well, listen, I'll set it up, and you can go hang with John before the show, kind of get to know him. He said, well, Steve, who's John Karabi? Well, John Karabi wrote and performed one of my favorite albums of all time. It's a band called The Scream. Unfortunately, that album is not available on the digital streaming platforms. You can find it on YouTube and listen to it in its entirety. I own the CD. Uh, One time I was on my way to a show in New Orleans, and sometimes we would go by Tower Records because they had better selection than what we had at the uh, small-town Walmart there in Columbia, Mississippi. Wouldn't like it is today. You can go get on Amazon, order a CD, and it's sent directly to you. You can probably get that Scream CD on eBay or uh, Amazon. You can also get it now in uh, digitally enhanced uh, vinyl, which I picked up last night. But The Scream, that album from start to finish is outstanding. My, probably my favorite song on that album is a song called Outlaw. But since it's not available on the streaming platforms, I didn't include it in our top ten list. But uh, you, you talk about a banger, it's a good straight-ahead rock and roll song. That's the one right there. It is the lead track on that album, and it'll rip your face off. So be careful. But John also went on to be the second singer in Motley Crue. And you know what a Motley fan I am, right? 
So I had a chance to go visit with John Karabi, the second singer in Motley Crue. He was the singer on the self-titled album. And to be fair, I don't think a lot of people were fair to John. That album has a lot of grit to it. I love that album. I think it's Mick and Tommy's finest work. But Vince got fired. They hired John Karabi. John never talked any trash about Vince. They're still friends to this day. They still talk. There's no bitterness between the two. I mean, John was a hired gun. His Molly began to begin a new era. It didn't work out to no fault of John's, but a lot of people never accepted Motley without Vince. I get it. Again, I love Motley. You know, as I told John last night, before I left, I said, dude, you, you, fronted, one, you fronted my favorite band of all time. We're family. Ended up actually, <laughs> it's funny how life works. I go meet John, we're sitting there, and we're just kind of talking about that Motley record and talking about the scream and his time with Union and the Dead Daisies. And, and it's time for John to get ready and go do sound check. And uh, he doesn't have anybody to sell his merch. And he looked at me. And I said, John, do you need me to watch your stuff? He goes, well, do you mind selling a little bit? And I said, John, I'm happy to do it. So I ran John Karabi's merch table last night. New experience for me, not that I'm, you know, opposed to getting out and selling. I sell a lot of things on this show. But I sold John Karabi merchandise last night. And uh, if you were in Huntsville, Alabama at the show, at the Furniture Factory, which is a really cool venue, Nice little patio area out there. Pretty big patio area. Everybody kind of gets to sit and chill. Crowd got up. It was great. John played about 40 minutes. Even worked in a uh, CCR song. That's uh, Have You Seen the Rain. He did an acoustic set. It was fabulous. But I want to introduce you to the music of John Karabi. Now, those of you that know me as a rocker understand that uh, my tastes are pretty uh, diverse. As is John's catalog. I think John's amazing with the full band. But he might even be better acoustically. And that's what he played last night. So I'm going to give you my top 10 songs that are available on the digital streaming platform. I've already sent this to Roy, so I have a list up. The most recent single from John is a song called uh, Cosabella. I love it. I think you'll love it too. Vocally, I think it's a masterpiece. I think John's a guy too that um, maybe has not gotten his just due in life. He wrote a book, which I now have, a signed copy of. Uh, thanks, John. It's called uh, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Talk about getting close. And that's kind of the story of John Karabi's career. And I don't know that he is truly appreciated. He does the uh, Monsters of Rock cruise every year, and he's done every single one of them. They call him the mayor. But Cosabella, a new track, it's just difficult to play that thing live. All right, number nine, from the Union debut album, Union was a band, too, that uh, he formed with Bruce Kulick of Kiss. Super album. I, I think the uh, the two albums, I guess, plus a live album. But we're going to go with Who Do You Think You Are? A little profanity on this one, too, so be careful with it. Maybe you've got kids in the car. From the Union, number nine, Who Do You Think You Are? Number eight, From the Dead Daisies. And, of course, that's a bit of a super group. And uh, don't rule out. Perhaps John uh, doing some things with the Dead Daisies in the years to come here, which would be great. You know, John deserves a bigger audience, but it's a great song, and he played it last night, Something I Said, off the Dead Daisies album. That's the, uh, the Revolution album. Probably the most highly anticipated 
Dead Daisies album. All right, number seven, to the Motley self-titled album. It's probably my favorite song on that album from start to finish. I didn't rank it higher because there are some hits on that album. But uh, I love this one. It's Till Death Do Us Part. And I love the part, that probably my favorite lyric in it, and I don't know if John wrote it or Nikki Six wrote it, but uh, sometimes my words may cut too deep and I step on a toe or two. I'm half dead, barely half alive, but I live by the truth. Truer words never spoken. Till death do us part. All right, number six. A song that John released here a couple years ago, and he spoke about it at length last night, about how important it is to let you people that you love know that you love them. Because you never know. And it was basically inspired by some gun violence, about you know, some random acts like that. You, know, you leave the house one day and you never know you're going to step into eternity before the day is over. And so the song is entitled, If I Never Get to Say Goodbye. And of course, it's, it's on his Unplugged album, which is super cool. The arrangements are a little bit different too, but a lot of it is uh, super cool. But also too, there's, there's also a, a live album out there where you can find that Montley self titled album played in its entirety that uh, recorded at the Monsters of Rock Cruise and uh, John's son on the drums. But if I never get to say goodbye, a very poignant and emotional song in many respects. And I, I echo his sentiments too. You know, at the end of the day, all we really have is each other. No matter how much money we make or how little we make or what all we have and what kind of cars we drive, at the end of the day, all we truly have are each other. Number five, also from the Union album, it's Love, I Don't Need It Anymore. It's a breakup song, you know. Uh, it's a cool track, and uh, if I remember correctly, this was kind of like a song that John had been kicking around for a while. And I don't know if it was like post-Scream, pre-Motley, or after, but Love, I Don't Need It Anymore, great track. I think you'll dig that one. Number four, another one of these very emotional songs that... Uh, Several people have actually had played at funerals. And it's from that Scream album. And John said when he pitched that song to the Scream, the band didn't like it. And said, hey, it's kind of like a country song. And I guess in some ways it does have a little bit of a twang to it. But it's a song called Father, Mother, Son. And it is about losing someone close to you. Very emotional song. And matter of fact, when he played it last night, I saw a couple people kind of tear up. You never know what people are dealing with. It's an amazing song. And I encourage you, if you don't know it, to get to know it. And uh, I, I love the Scream album version, but I think the Unplugged version might actually be a little bit more emotional. All right, number three, and this is a great song, too, from that Motley self-titled album. I told John last night, it's one of my favorites on the album. It's a song called Drift Away. And I love McMars' work on this thing, too. It's, it's very haunting when, it, when his guitar comes in. He tells me, Drift Away almost didn't make the record. And it just seems weird to me. It's just such an amazing song. But he said that when he wrote it, he presented it, they recorded it, that some people with the record label and Motley's management just said, you know, I don't know if it works for Motley. And John finally said, you know what? I love this song. I believe in this song. And so if you don't want to use it, give it back to me, and I'll put it on a solo record someday. It is absolutely killer. I close my eyes. I slowly drift away. It's one of the, again, John Karabi, I don't think gets enough credit for his role as a songwriter. And I know that Nikki Six has said some negative things about John, and that's unfortunate too. I, I really hate that. 
Uh, it's not John's fault that he took a, a great gig fronting one of the most iconic bands in American rock and roll history, and things didn't work out. But uh, Nikki has said before that John Karabi can't write lyrics, and as much as I love Nikki Six, I have to disagree. Drift Away is an absolutely beautiful song. Number two, this is the first single off that uh, self-titled album. And I think when we first heard this, we were like, Motley's going in a much heavier and more serious direction. You know, a little less stripper, a little less spandex, a little more leather, and a little more grit. It's Hooligan's Holiday. And of course, he played kind of a, as he called the swamp version, kind of a tuned down, slowed down acoustic version. And the crowd, of course, sang along. It was great. But Hooligan's Holiday, an amazing song in the Motley Crue catalog. And there are a lot of people like, well, you know, Steve, I like it. And you never really gave that album a chance because you were still hung up on the fact that Vince got fired. I'm just telling you now, now that Vince is back with the band and they're, they're selling out stadiums around the country, you owe it to yourself to go back and listen to that self-titled album. You do. There's some great rock and roll on that album. Living in a No is another one that I absolutely love. I mean, that album, I can listen to it in its entirety on trips and really enjoy every aspect of it. And then, uh, you know, John wrote some of the songs for Generation Swine, too, and then they brought Vince back. And Generation Swine, to me, is the worst album in the Motley catalog. I think a lot of it is because things were so disjointed. The record company insisted that Nicky and the guys bring Vince back, and you had this material that was kind of written for John Karabi to sing, and I just think that album, it, it's kind of like when Motley kind of pretended to be punk. It just didn't work out. It is, without a doubt, the, the worst Motley album in my estimation. But that self-titled album is absolutely legit. Hooligan's Holiday, be sure and check it out. But number one for me, the song that got me into John Karabi's music, I was on my way to a show in New Orleans back in 1991. And we stopped at that Tower Records and bought this. Well, the reason that I stopped and bought that Scream CD, they only had two copies on the shelf. I bought them both. Bought one for me and one for a friend. On my way down there, I heard this song on the radio. I was like, who is that? And it was the Scream and the title song is Man in the Moon. And, of course, John closes his set with it. an amazing song. If she never comes back, it'll be too soon. I'm doing fine, just me and the Man in the Moon. It's an amazing song. And uh, the acoustic version is really good, and that's what you're going to hear. But if you can find the full band version, and you can find it on YouTube or perhaps uh, buy the album, I'm telling you, I cannot recommend that Scream album, the Scream, Let It Scream. I cannot recommend that album enough an amazing amazing record man in the moon though that's the one that kind of carried him and really that's what got in the gig with motley you know nikki six has said in interviews that uh, he was really impressed with that album and the production value on that album is absolutely legit chad from faster pussycat and i've talked about that that how bob rock has absolutely outdid himself putting that thing together so there you go the music of john karabi i know many of you are unfamiliar with john but after meeting him last night for the first time and uh, you know, spending some time with him, you, you really get a sense of what a genuine person he is. So I wanted to do a top 10 to kind of promote the music of John Karabi. And some I ask you, just give it a shot and just listen to it. And if it works for you, then great. If it doesn't, that's cool too. We'll still be friends. 
But John Karabi, an amazing musician and an amazing guy, man. It's being around him and uh, having a chance to kind of talk to him, you know, about some personal things and kind of about some things that are happening in his life. And you just see what it all means to people. You know, there are a lot of us out there that uh, have cooler jobs than others. But at the end of the day, we're all just people kind of dealing with the same stuff. And, um, you know, John's not, not a big drinker and that sort of stuff. But I, I tell you, uh, sitting and talking with him, you know, he was uh, intrigued that I was a, an author that have had five very successful books, and he's got a book on the market, and uh, gave me a signed copy. I gave him a signed copy of uh, Bloom's Voliander. So you never know how life works, but uh, it's so interesting to me that I've been a fan of this guy now for, what, 30 years, and finally got a chance to meet him and shake his hand. And uh, as I wrote in his copy of Blooms of Oleander, to John, thanks for your contributions to rock and roll. And there's so many people out there that uh, we never get a chance to truly say thank you to, people that are part of the soundtrack of our lives. And I'm very honored that Brian Jones, my friend from Jackson, was able to set this up for me and uh, got home late. I was going to record the show last night, but I was absolutely exhausted. And I got a full day again today, too. And uh, as we head down for the Lillian Axe album release party, Album's been out a few weeks, but uh, looking forward to going down there and being with my family and Lillian Axe. But uh, so last night I wore a Lillian Axe show to John Karabi show, and I wore a John Karabi shirt tonight to Lillian Axe show. But uh, check them out, John. Again, and I can't emphasize this enough. There are a lot of people out there that are making music, and you never know what kind of people they are. I can tell you because John and I have so many mutual friends, and now that I have had a chance to meet John, I can tell you. One of the nicest guys in rock and roll, and it's so crazy. Uh, he gave me his phone number last night, and he said, hey, I, I don't want this to be weird because I know we just met for the first time. He goes, but I know you drove a long way to come hear me play. He said, just text me when you get home so I know you made it back okay. And he goes, man, thanks for selling all this merch. And uh, and I did sell a bunch of it, to be quite honest with you. You know, I got the gift to gab, and so as people walked up, I did my best to sell John's merch, and we sold some books and some CDs and uh, sold some vinyl, sold a bunch of shirts, uh, but I, I was happy to do it. And it's one of those nights, too, that I always look back. And I was, remember that time I, I sold John Karabi's merch? Yeah, the second singer from Motley. Man, it's, it's, I'm, sometimes I feel like a kid. You know, it's like when I get a chance to go do cool stuff, I want to go do it. But never in a million years did I think I'd be selling merch for John Karabi. And I even told him when I left, I said, dude, if you're ever within a reasonable driving distance, I don't have anything going on, hit me up. I'm happy to come help out. I think that's one of the things that uh, makes the rock scene a little bit different is there is this, uh, there is a fraternity, you know, it's like the fans and that kind of stuff, people get real negative about things. And I'm, I'm guilty of that sometimes too. You know, I, I let people's fans get on my nerves, but uh, you know, there is a fraternity among those artists that uh, we're not a part of, but to watch it in person and to see all of that kind of unfold and the respect they have for each other is very rewarding. I wish life was more like that all the way around. But it's interesting, too, when uh, John's getting ready to go on stage, and we've already had this great visit, and uh, he kind of looked at me, you know, and I could tell he was scared to even ask if I'd be willing to sell for him. And I was just like, you know, when else am I going to get an opportunity to do something like this and to help somebody out that has helped me out so much, kind of unbeknownst to them? Their music has been a big part of my life. So I was happy to do it. Uh, I don't feel like I'm name dropping here. I'm doing this to promote John Karabi. I'm doing this because I think many of you will appreciate the music of John Karabi, and it is very diverse, but uh, it's straight ahead rock and roll. So be sure and check it out. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. 
we might just do it. The best thing to do is hit Roy up on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And you can find our great list on Spotify also at Dogmatic67. But I'm telling you again, if you're just looking around for a great album or whatever, find your way to get your hands on that first Scream album. You'll be glad you did. And yeah, I like the Union stuff. I like the Dead Daisy stuff. Of course, I love that Motley album. But that Scream album to me, one of my favorite albums of all time, without a doubt. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Campus Bookmart. <clears throat> Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Go by and check them out today. The biggest selection of Mississippi State merchandise. A lot of people make that claim, but they are pretenders to the throne. Bully Shop has been completely renovated. It's all upstairs now. They've expanded a selection. Every time I go in there on ballgame weekends, it's absolutely packed. Sometimes I go in there and sign books for them, and it is always packed. It was always pretty busy before. They've hit a new level now. I think because word is out that you can find more Mississippi State merchandise right there at Campus Bookmark. You owe it to yourself to go by and see their smiling faces. They will treat you like family because in their minds you are family. If you can't make the town, let me encourage you to support a Starkville business by visiting them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. Here's the reality of that. We're going to save you a little money. Campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. Let's look inside some numbers here. A lot of stuff going on around here. All right, so Will Rogers now leads the Southeastern Conference with 1,715 yards passing. Now, you would expect that you know, because of the scheme that we play in. And I think sometimes Will Rogers is kind of unfairly maligned at times because of the fact that he plays uh, in this system. Of course, he leads in just about every statistical category, including completion percentage, just over 73%. Now, the guy right behind him, who I would say right now is the odds-on favorite to be first-team All-SEC, is Hendon Hooker. Now, granted, he's thrown half the passes that Will has, a little bit less than half. But he's right there at 72%. Yards per attempt, though, 1056. So, you know, not throwing it as often, but throwing it a little farther down the field uh, than other guys. Passing touchdowns, Will, of course, leads. 19 touchdowns for Will. Bryce Young, second with 14. Will Levis with 12. And despite the fact that we throw it as many times as we do, uh, Will with just the uh, three interceptions and a couple of those, not his fault. You know, one at LSU, I'll put on him. And you would think as many times as we drop back, you'd say, well, you know, Steve, Will's probably getting tagged a lot. Well, eight, just eight times. Will Levis from Kentucky, 19 times. 19. Ole Miss kind of got after that Wildcat offensive line last week. Jaden Daniels, the mobile quarterback that gave us trouble, he's been sacked 15 times. Spencer Rattler, another dual-threat guy, 10 times. And then Max Johnson 10 times, Mississippi State part of that too. But uh, Hendon Hooker and Will right there at eight. Kind of a glut right there at eight with five quarterbacks with eight sacks. Quarterback rating. Hendon Hooker leads the league at a 183.73. It's absolutely ridiculous, man. And then there's Will Levis, Bryce Young, KJ. Will Rogers, fifth in the SEC in quarterback rating with a 158.87. Uh, quarterback rating but uh you know we'll get it done you know obviously when you would expect you know him to have some big numbers in this scheme but that, but here's the thing we run the air raid we need a prolific quarterback we have one 
All right, the leading receiver in the Southeastern Conference from a yardage standpoint is Dominique Lovett from Missouri. That's interesting, right? Tavion Robinson is second at 365. Will Shepard from Vanderbilt. And, of course, the, you know, he has an extra game on us. I made that mistake a while back. But Rara Thomas now, they have this basically as a tie. Yeah, Tavion Robinson. So to, to third, the third highest receiving yards total on the season is Rara Thomas. That guy's on his way to an all-SEC season if he can keep it up. And he had a bad game against Bowling Green and had a couple big drops against LSU, but he bounced back strong this week. So good numbers there. Looking down the list for some more Bulldogs. Caleb Ducking, 15th to 272. Rufus Harvey, 24th to 229. Uh, Tulu Griffin there, 206, down at 28. Now, look at uh, receiving touchdowns here. Will Shepard from Vanderbilt leads the SEC with seven, but second there is your guy, Caleb Ducking, with six. Uh, that'll get it done. Ra-Ra uh, tied for fourth in the league with three. But uh, Ducking putting together a, a really big season. And we hoped for that. We saw it in fall camp. But, you know, it doesn't always translate that well, right? Well, we're getting it done. Of course, the running numbers are not going to be uh, to our advantage, <laughs> shall we say. But Raheem Sanders, we're going to see him this weekend. Raheem Sanders, 609 yards, leads the SEC. Ole Miss freshman Quinshawn Judkins, 535 yards. And you know, a lot of people talked about, you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. They talked about his transfer running backs, and they're, they're good. But you got Judkins, the freshman. They're leading. Now second in the SEC. Uh, Devin Achain from A&M is third at 466. Ray Davis from Vanderbilt, 402. And then there's Zach Evans. So Ole Miss with two of the SEC's top five rushers. We knew there would be a transformation offensively. There has been. The top Bulldog on the rushing numbers, number 11 in the SEC is Dylan Johnson with 302. Which is probably, you know, all things considered, pretty good. K.J. Jefferson, just 312. And DJ's right there with him. Interesting, to say the least. But, um, yeah, Tank Bigsby's the guy at Auburn. You know, if, if they could just put together any any sustained drives offensively, you know, Tank's the guy that was preseason All-SEC. And, and, you know, on his own, he, he's in a remarkable back. He's just not getting enough opportunities because they can't sustain drives. He's seventh uh, in the SEC. Jimmy Gibbs from Alabama right there at six. But uh, – you know, the fact that states anywhere even smoking, or excuse me, within smoking, I look at Cavassier smoke as I said that, within shouting distance, uh, it's pretty impressive. All right, scoring numbers here. And you got your, all these kickers up here. But uh, the guy, the, the position player that has been the most prolific this year is running back Marshawn Lloyd from South Carolina. He has scored 48 points, which is more than many kickers. And then Will Shepard from Vanderbilt. Uh, he has done a good job, too. The, the leading scoring receiver in the Southeastern Conference. Pretty impressive. And then uh, Judkins from Ole Miss and Caleb Ducking are tied with 36. It's interesting, like, every year you think you've kind of got it figured out, and then, like, somebody new just kind of comes out of nowhere, whether it be a freshman or somebody gets better, somebody gets, uh, you know, they kind of figure some things out. They become a better player. They have that breakout season. It's always interesting. Always. All right, return, kick returns here. 
Devin Achain still leads the SEC. We, and we, we helped him last week with a couple times not kicking the ball in the end zone. 274 yards returned. Uh, Tulu Griffin still second in the SEC with 216. And then uh, Kiaris Jackson is uh, third there at 177. Uh, Jimmy Holiday, a name you may know, from Tennessee, uh, 152. So, you know, one big return away, I guess, from dropping, but uh, also one big return away from catching Devin Achen. It always feels like Tulu is just one away. I don't know that we're going to get a lot of opportunities to return kicks, but I think we'll get a chance to return some punts, uh, which will be interesting. Should be. And, uh, you know, Xavier Thomas, I think, is a guy that has a chance to do uh, some interesting stuff here. When we look at yards per return, and which is probably the best assessment considering that not everybody gets a chance to return these. But uh, Kool-Aid McInnistry from Alabama leads the SEC just under 18 yards per return. Bryce Stevens from Arkansas, the second most prolific punt returner in the SEC, uh, 14 and a half yards thereabouts. And Josh Van uh, from South Carolina. And then there's your Bulldog, Xavier Thomas, 12.71 yards per return. And if we're getting double-digit averages on these punt returns, uh, I think we can live with that. I still think Xavier, there's a couple times, I'm sure when he went back and watched film, he probably thought, you know what, if I'd cut back here, cut back there. He has been very close to breaking one. Is this the week? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Let's look at our uh, kicking numbers here too. And, and yes, we have to. All right, Ben Rabin, of course, uh, four of five on the year. It seems worse, right? But it, it's not. It's not. We missed a couple extra points which stinks. We should never miss those. That should be automatic. But uh, four or five in the league, nobody has been perfect. I guess with the exception of uh, uh, Mitch Jeter, he's five for five. But everybody else around the league has missed at least one kick. Uh, so we're kind of right there with them. But uh, Georgia, Missouri, 13 attempts. That's interesting. I mean, it's like more than double most of the teams in the league. And uh, Harrison Mevis from Missouri, I don't know if you guys know this, he's had he's three, three kicks from 50 yards plus. Insanity. Absolute insanity. All right, looking at punting numbers here. Matt Hayball from Vanderbilt leads the league in yardage. And I think that's because they're, they're punting more than everybody else, 28 punts on the year. Uh, the better barometer here is going to be uh, average yards per punt. Well, guess what? Hayball still leads. 46.61. That'll get it done right there. Maybe that kid needs to get a transfer portal. Uh, Jack Stonehouse, 45 from Missouri. You got to get down a little bit. You know, State's uh, you know, got a couple guys that are sharing their opportunities there, so they're, they're not registering on the chart. They didn't met the NCAA requirements. But Arkansas punter Max Fletcher. This is one of the reasons that I believe Xavion has a chance. Last in the SEC among those who qualify in punting yards per average. 38.8. Not even getting 40. 38.8. Not going to be great punts. Maybe they can cover them. Call it a sneaking suspicion. I just think that perhaps Xavion's going to have a chance to make a play. All right, let's look inside the uh, defensive numbers here. This is always interesting to me because you just never know. Like, you look around and you're like, wow, 
Okay, so Arkansas actually has three in the top eight. You think that's that's pretty incredible, Steve, and it is. But all of them are guys in the back seven. Bumper pool, Drew Sanders, Simeon Blair, a safety. Which means people are getting the second level a lot, right? Which is kind of the whole purpose as linebackers, right? As you go fill a gap. But um, you know, state with two in the top seven, Bookie Watson and Jet Johnson. Jet Johnson second in the SEC with forty six tackles. I'm gonna go back to the preseason, pre SEC picks, and I told everybody how ridiculous it was that Jet Johnson didn't get any notoriety at all. The fact that Jet didn't make one of those teams, I'm not saying he should have been first team. But the fact that he didn't make any tells me that a lot of people in the SEC media don't do their homework. If I remember correctly, Jet was either sixth or seventh in the SEC in returning tacklers, like in guys that had production last year. Well, Jet's just rising to the occasion. Second in the SEC now, tied with Bumper Pool with 46 tackles. Anthony Orgi from Vanderbilt is 52 tackles. He leads the SEC. And granted, you know, they're a game ahead of us. So you look at Jet, you know, Jet's got a chance, a realistic chance to lead the Southeastern Conference in tackles. Got to keep working hard, but he does. The next Bulldog on the list, of course, is Buki Watson down at seven. Now his numbers will, 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 will dip a little bit this week. He's going to miss the first half. J.P. Purvis now in line to start, get his first college start. That's exciting for him. The next Bulldog on the list, you say, it's got to be Tyreek. Nope, it's Decamp, tied for 12th in the conference with 30 tackles. He's had a couple of really big games here as of late. I think people will try to uh, maybe test him a little bit more. He's been beat for a touchdown, but um, I think Decamp's a guy that's willing to come up there on the edge and pop somebody. A little bit farther down the list, of course, uh, Jalen Green with 22 tackles, Tyra Sweet with 22 tackles. And Sam Pittman said this week how much he liked our linebacker group. I like him too, and I like him better now than I did maybe a month ago because we do have some depth. Of course, Deshaun Page is uh, still banged up. But J.P. Purvis stepping in and doing some good things. I think Sherman Thames is having a really good year this year. All right, your most prolific pass rushers. We're going to face a couple of them this weekend. Drew Sanders, linebacker from Arkansas, leads the SEC with seven sacks this year. They like to bring him. Will Anderson, future first-round picks, got five. And then there's Jordan Dominique from Arkansas with five, too. And you know that Arkansas gets after the quarterback. And a lot of that, too, I think is a byproduct of the fact that they understand they can't just sit back. And I think we'll see a lot of pressure on third down. I don't know how much we see in the early downs. But I, I, I've read and heard some things and people are like, well, I think that they'll bring a lot of pressure. Well, I think it's got to be measured opportunities. Because if you don't get home, you leave a very leaky secondary in man coverage. It's just kind of how it works. And so you got to pick your poison. If you blitz all the time and State's able to pick it up, it could be a very, very uh, lopsided ball game. And I think when you look at what Odom has done in recent years, and they've won the last two, right? So it's not like they can say, hey, defensively, it's not working, even though Will had a pretty good ball game against them last year. They're not going to reinvent the wheel. Now, they probably saw what LSU has done. They probably saw what Alabama did last year. 
and I'm sure they'll overload the tackles at times and really bring the heat. We're going to have to be you know, looking for the, the hot route there. Got to find that inside slant. And with the safety coming, the middle of the field ought to be open. But the reality of it is, is that, uh, you know, this is a secondary that has really struggled to stop the pass. One of the worst in the country. We talked about that on Wednesday. Uh, Bookie Watson leads the Mississippi State Bulldogs with three sacks. He's not too far off the, the, the you know, the pace there. Drew Sanders doing an excellent job to be a first-rounder. Mel Kuyper, I think, put him in his uh, mock draft in the first round this week. But Bookie Watson there with three. Uh, Randy Charlton with a couple. Nathan Pickering with two. Colin Duncan with two. J.P. Purvis with two. And that's just, that's just last week. It'll be interesting. I'm eager to see what happens with this group this week. This Arkansas defense. All right, Carrington Valentine from Kentucky leads the SEC. Actually tied with Kool-Aid McKinnistry with seven pass deflections. You got to get down the list just a little bit. Tied for third there is Emmanuel Forbes with four. Interceptions should come as no surprise. Emmanuel Forbes tied for first in the SEC, but tied with Dwight McLaughlin at Arkansas, former LSU Tiger. Having a pretty good year out there. Arguably their best defensive back at this point. And with the injuries they've had, you know, somebody's got to make some plays. He's done a pretty good job there. They'll get tested this weekend. Uh, Drew Sanders, Arkansas, also with a couple of forced fumbles this year. Latavius Brainy, that's a guy that's been a little bit up and down at times, uh, also on these numbers as well. But, uh, again, you look, you run through these numbers, and I think, you know, your Bulldogs are doing a good job. You know, they're competing – they're representing well among the uh, you know, the top players in the conference at their position. And, and, and that we hadn't always been able to say that. You know, we, maybe one or two guys here and there, but you, know, we, you look in the top ten in just about every statistical category, there's a bulldog there. And I think, again, that's a measure of this program and this team really beginning to mature. That, that's the thing you look at and you get excited about is you begin to think, okay, these guys are growing up right before our eyes. And then, it, you know, I think about how it's a different wide receiver every week. You know, Justin Robinson was a breakout star last week. You know, Rara, of course, had the big game. But, you know, you never know who's going to step up that maybe somebody's not expecting. And I think that makes Mississippi State very difficult to defend. I think that's a big part of all of this. It's, it's difficult to defend Mississippi State because you can't key on one guy. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I've told you guys many times before that if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. No question about it. To be that close to campus would be a dream. 1.1 miles away from all things maroon. Close enough that all your friends and neighbors and everybody can come and see you on their way to town when they're coming to ballgames. And maybe you don't want that. Maybe you want a little privacy. But wouldn't it be great to be able to have all the grandkids under one roof? And make that your ball game weekend retreat. Maybe, maybe make grandpa and grandma's house. The game day stop. It's time you had a place in Starkville. Whether it's your permanent residence, your future retirement home, perhaps your second home, Portico's got a place to fit you. Two-bedroom, two-bath home, all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Phase one now completely sold out. Phase two under construction. Some of those homes are already sold too. 
But now is the time to start gathering some information. Now is the time to think about making that move to Starkville, that long-awaited and much-anticipated move back to Starkville. Let me give you my friend Brooks Bryan's number. He's my friend, your friend, a friend of Mississippi State. Brooks can get you more information. 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. There are a lot of places in Starkville to live. There are. But one of the things that I love about this whole portico thing is the traffic. I can avoid a lot of the traffic in town if I live there because you're conveniently located right there off of 12, near 82. There's that great neighborhood market right across the street from you. But I can pull out of my driveway and get on 12 and I'm in campus on campus in just a matter of minutes. I don't have to fight all that on, on 12. And if I want to get around and go to the big Walmart, I can jump up on my 82 and bypass all that traffic. That's a nice feature that I don't think people fully appreciate. As a guy that lived in Baton Rouge for 16 years, I can tell you, I've been around some traffic. And it, it will probably shorten my life if I had to live in a major city because I just don't handle that well. My anxiety gets just through the roof. And so you could be close to campus. You could have the ability to avoid a lot of the traffic on game day or any other day, really, for that matter. It's because you live so close at 82. So be sure and check it out. Make Portico your next move. All right, let, let me spend my last few minutes with you guys making my earnest plea about coming to the ball game tomorrow. I'm not going to sit here and preach. I'm just going to, again, reiterate, Mississippi State needs you to be here. It's a big ball game. A lot of uh, speculation about what's going to happen with K.J. Jefferson. We don't know for sure he's going to play. He is going to make the trip. He, they'll bring his pads with him. It may be a game-time decision. It may be a situation where Sam Pittman's playing some games in the media. I don't know. But even if K.J. Jefferson plays, having not practiced this week, uh, apparently having some concussion sen- symptoms. We don't expect him to beat 100%. Should he play? That's not my decision to make. I don't know all the details behind all of this. I know that the people are hypersensitive to this head injury stuff in football, especially after what happened last weekend with Tua. I still expect Mississippi State to win the game. But the thing that I would, again, kind of hold up is that uh, we don't get a lot of these opportunities to gather as a family at Davis Wade Stadium and cheer the Bulldogs on the victory in a big game. And listen, I know this matchup has lost a little bit of its luster with Arkansas losing the last two. But we have lost the last two games to those guys. And games we shouldn't have lost, but we lost them. And so maybe you could be the difference in putting us over the hump. I think we're going to win. And I think it's important to bring the kids and let them kind of get used to being around campus. You know, when we talk about building this fan base for the future, I think normalizing making trips to Starkville and making memories together and packing the car and going and cheering for the dogs, I think it's an amazing, amazing thing. I know that I think about all those times that I went with my dad, and it wasn't that often. And back in those days, he played some games in Jackson. We didn't always get to make the trip up to Starkville to watch the Bulldogs play. But when we did, I remembered it. And to this day, those memories are very precious to me. And so I, I think your kids want to go to the ball game. I know you want to go to the ball game. But it's worth the time and trouble. And there's a lot of tickets out there on the third, uh, you know, third 
party market that's very inexpensive. Of course, there are tickets available to the Mississippi State Ticket Office. I bought some this week from a brother and his family. And so I just encourage you to be here. If you can be here, and I know many of you have activities on Friday night, I know. You got kids in the band, you got cheerleaders in your family, you got football players. It's a real challenge to get here for an early morning kick. But if you can be here, please be here. And if you can't be here, let's ensure we get our tickets in the Hannes and Bulldog fans. Maybe there's a family down the street. Maybe there's somebody you know from your church group or somebody from work. And maybe they can't afford to take these trips. You say, you know what? I'm going to gift my tickets to them. Maybe even give them a little gas money, whatever. But we need Bulldogs in the stands. And it feels kind of weird to have to, to do that. You know, I think the universities is doing all they can, but it feels weird to have to kind of say, hey, guys, it's a big game. We need you here. And I know that COVID kind of got a lot of us out of the habit of going. I get it. I understand it. But it's time for us to kind of get back to, to what we love. I know many of you have exhausted extensive resources to build your man cave, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to watch ball games here. I get that too. But Mississippi State needs you here. We need you here. And I tell you, I love it when you guys come to town. I've shared that with you guys before. I live here. I love living here. But the electricity and the excitement that you guys bring to town is amazing. I love living here. I do. And I'm here until the end. That's my plan anyway, you know. But the reality of it is, is that uh, it's kind of like, you know, like when you find out your favorite uncle and your favorite aunt are coming to grandma's house. And all week long, you're like, oh, I get to see my cousins. You know, that's how it is for me when you all are coming to Starkville. I love it. And I love the fact that we're all gathering together as a family and uniting under one banner of maroon and white to celebrate Mississippi State Athletics. It's a special thing. And listen, I've never been a part of any other fan base, right? Not in college. I've only had one college team my whole life. Many of you are the same way. I don't know that I had a choice. But I'd rather be a Bulldog than anything else. And I tell you, I I was talking to some people last night in Huntsville. They love Alabama, but they admit it gets kind of boring. (laughs) And I guess that's probably true. It's kind of boring. It's difficult to get up for these ball games when you always know you're going to win. You know, cry me a river, right? But that's the thing is when you never know when you're going to have that special moment at Davis Wade Stadium or Duty Noble Field or Humphrey Coliseum. You never know when that special moment's going to come. That moment you look back and say, you know what? I was there when that happened. Maybe it's this weekend. I hope not. I hope it's a game that we uh, get ahead early and we can just kind of cruise. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, this Arkansas defense, you know, they have some pieces. They just don't have any cohesion. But is, you know, is this a week they kind of put it together? Because they're going to try to win this game, I think, running the football and playing defense. They're going to try to keep the air raid offense on the, on the sidelines. And so we can't afford to make mistakes. We can't afford to give them uh, extra possessions. They're going to try to shorten the game on us because I think they realize – if they can't get stops, that this is going to be a ball game that gets out of hand. It could be very quickly. When you begin to think about, you know, Mississippi State as a football program, we discussed earlier in the show about how well 
we're scoring compared to what we have in previous years. And every year, exponentially, you've seen it gone up. I think that's important to understand that, that this thing is beginning to really take hold here. And so if you're on the fence, let me encourage you to get off the fence. Get on the healthstate.com website, go to StubHub, wherever you want to go, and make sure that you get some tickets to come to this ballgame. You know, it's so interesting. One of the uh, Arkansas beat writers pointed this out, and it was a stat that had kind of eluded me. Mississippi State has dominated the first quarter this year. Do you know how many points Mississippi State's given up in the first quarter this year? Anybody want to take a stab at that? It's seven. And that was at Arizona on that very first drive. We didn't fit a gap and they gashed us and ran for a touchdown. Here are your first quarter scores. 14-0 against Memphis. 15-7 against Arizona. 6-0 against LSU. 17-0 against Bowling Green. And, of course, no score last week. We always talk about getting off to a good start. You know, State's been able to do that more times than not. We have not faced a first quarter deficit at the end of the quarter the entire year. That's interesting to me. And I think this weekend we can make that really mean more. Look in our second quarter scoring, too. 14-3 against Memphis. 3-3 against Arizona. 7-7 against LSU. 14-7 against Bowling Green. And 14-0 against A&M. So not only are we winning the first quarter, we're winning the second quarter. So come out and be a part of this. It's going to be an important weekend. I don't know if you realize this. We could be 5-1 and one after this weekend. And so if you haven't seen, we got Kentucky. Yeah, let's just focus on Arkansas. We can get ahead of ourselves, right? But 5-1 and one gets you inside the top 20 more than likely, which sets up a big game next weekend against Kentucky. And you just start thinking about, you know, the totality of the season and the fact that we could be playing for some pretty cool things. We could be – we are taking the next step as a program. Year one under Leach, you know, it was you know, difficult to judge anybody, right? And I remember so many people, so many people, were jumping all over, all over the bandwagon about, uh, you know, Arkansas made the better hire. You know, Sam Pittman so much farther ahead. And, of course, it was a bigger rebuild, to be fair. And we had to make some adjustments, obviously, at Mississippi State. But Sam Pittman's 15 and 13. 15 and 13 now. 3 and 7, 9 and 4, 3 and 2. So, you know, again, you know, we talk back about grading those hires. I, I don't know. I think at this point, maybe you tip the cap to Lane Kiffin. He's probably, you know, done the best so far. And we'll see how the rest of the season goes. There were so many people that were panning the Mike Leach hire after, you know, year, year and a half and praising the Sam Pittman hire. But I think now when you look at things, I think Mike Leach and Mississippi State are closing ground. And maybe we shouldn't have lost ground in the first place, but we did. But I think, again, you got to look at these things. You can't look at a snapshot. you got to look at the totality of the situation. Look forward to seeing you guys at Davis Wade Stadium on Saturday. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpiledabook.com. You can get all my sports books there. You get signed personalized copies. Dogpile, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, Flim Flam. Sold a lot of Flim Flam on Monday. We're down in Gulfport. And I uh, really appreciate that. I mean, really, really, really do. I think we sold 
probably more flim-flam than we did anything else combined. It was great. We sold a few dog pile, uh, but we sold uh, a bunch of flim-flam. And so I appreciate those guys. Many of them said, Steve, you never get down here. And it's true. We don't do a lot of book signings down south. But um, when we do, you folks show up. So I appreciate that. Uh, Blooms Oleander, of course, available at Amazon.com, BarnesNoble.com, BooksMillion.com. That was just kind of my pet project. It was never anything that uh, I thought would become anything special, and, and it has. And so I appreciate your support of that. Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. Matter of fact, I got to run by there and pick up a shirt a little bit later today. So, thank you guys so much for your support. We look forward to having you in town. Look forward to a great weekend. Hopefully, we're talking about a Bulldog victory on Monday. Would be huge, huge, huge. And when you look at the circumstances behind this game, it's a game Mississippi State is expected to win. So let's go take care of business. Until next time, we'll all see you. <laughs> and uh, let me get that straight, right? We'll see you this weekend. And until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.